You're listening to a 9to5.cc podcast. Welcome to Go Plug Yourself, talking to the most interesting people in Montreal since 2011. Hey, if you're enjoying Go Plug Yourself, why not do us a favor and help spread the word about the show? Tell your friends about us online or in person, and it would really help us out. Maybe even vote for us in Cult Montreal's Best of Montreal's Reader Poll. Walter and I love doing the show, and we would really appreciate whatever support you can give us. Enjoy the show, everybody, and go plug yourself. Go plug yourself, you plug another plugger. Go plug yourself, you plug another plugger. Go plug yourself, you plug another plugger. Go plug yourself, it's Walter and Keith talking on the internet. Not talk about that. Um. Inez, you're uh, you're locking right into yeah, your. How Walt- long do you usually? I do am this so focused. We usually run. Uh, so we do about like maybe forty minutes, and then we do a little five question segment at the end to wrap okay. it up around somewhere. A little bit of editing. Somewhere maybe. under an hour. Yeah, we usually go to an hour. If we talk too long, we talk too long. Okay. Uh, Inez was jumping immediately into her role as co-host, replacing uh, Walter on this episode by being on her phone. Yeah, because Walter does that. Yeah, I mean, you told me you wanted a bit of a Walter Walter vibe, and I'm trying as hard as I can to channel him. So uh, the voice you're hearing is we. So to bring Louis up to speed, who's our guest this week. Are you recording now? Yes, we record. We do a very like a soft open. Um, Our regular co-host is Walter J. Ling, uh, comedian extraordinaire, and in the next coming weeks, comedian (laughs) period extraordinaire question Question mark. mark. Yeah, uh, and he's kind of like coming half on, half off, so I have a, a couple of guest hosts. So Inez no. is not the usual co-host, okay. so you get Inez instead of the usual co-host. But I, between you and me, it's a bit of an upgrade. Like, so I just... Will she actually laugh at your jokes? So. I don't... Yeah, no, she's the comedian. I'm not, so <laughs> I hope I laugh at her jokes. It's I'm saying she's less likely to be, like, I don't know, judgy or force you to talk about wrestling, because that might happen. Uh... <laughs> Point A, questionable. Point B, absolutely. I will, I will not harp on you about wrestling whatsoever. Mm. Good. So joining us this week, though, is uh, Rest- Louis Rastelli. That's right. Nailed it. Um, and I'm, I was trying to like, think of like a, a term or a title to, to capture everything that you do. And, and like archivist, uh, small media uh, pusher, uh, <laughs> print... Uh, aficionado. aficionado. I'm just gonna start p- Maven. subbing words in. Yeah, there exactly. Now. That's it. Although Maven. I think it's pronounced archivist. Archivist. Archivist or archivist? archivist. Well, actually, the actual archivists that work with us okay. would be quick to point out that I'm not one because okay. I, I tend to. So a patron of a patron but, uh, of archiving. Uh, uh, I think cultural historian is how I get cited uh, in the Gazette before they ask oh. me about you know something usually with. That's pretty. Yeah, I mean, who, who are we to second guess the Gazette's right? terminology? <laughs> you know? you know, I guess I've written a lot about the history and the recent history of Montreal and the mm-hmm. real, you know, native, proud Montreal and all mm-hmm. that. And that's uh, um, and when we talk about, so you, you're here on the show to promote Exposine, but that's only like a small piece of the puzzle when you talk about uh, everything that you do. Yeah, well, to be clear, it started with a whole bunch of us. I was in the 90s. I brought a couple copies of a zine I used to do called Fish Piss. And oh. uh, you can keep some because I dug up some old boxes of them at the archive. I, I'm and so probably sell some of them at Exposine. Nice. But 
it's the same, it was mid-90s, we started this magazine um, partly because I knew the guys who started Vice, it was called Voice at first. And yeah, yeah, well, it was, it was uh, or Village Voice, 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 Montre or or Voice of Montreal. Montreal. Voice of Montreal, yeah, yeah. And they were kind of covering, you know, the scene, writers and you know, local bands and stuff, but mm -hmm. it, it pretty quickly got really annoying and, and, you know, glamorizing drug use and everything we know Vice for now. Yeah. Um, and then, I mean, Vice, uh, yeah, exactly, and then and uh, Gavin McInnes took a whole other spin yeah, recently, yeah. so... That, got, the, the that got real crazy. That was, uh, yeah, luckily they got rid of him a number of years ago. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, but way, way back in the 90s, it was a different city. Like, we kind of gave up on the mirror and the hour. The Gazette was always a waste of time. Mm -hmm. There was no media to cover the city. So, yeah. Um, I, I, uh, the Vice started out, we had a lot of hope for him, but it didn't really look like that would be the thing. They clearly were looking big and large. Yeah. So I started a magazine with a bunch of friends called, called Fish Piss, basically mm -hmm. because ink, sepia ink, for example, is, is made from squid bladders like it's literally just comes straight from from there um and so uh i was already like as a writer and um, somebody who knew there was lots of great artists and, and, and writers in montreal yeah i was just like i want to do something actually as a teenager i used to send in my writing to local zines record reviews stuff like that yeah well i think that was so. like i mean i was uh i i was just i'm we were just talking ages up i'm 36 so okay. i i just caught like when I was in like high school and early stage up was like late nineties, early two thousands. So it was just on the like I think like the downside of the zine wave. Like there were still a couple of zines that were kinda of going on. Like I I can't remember all of them, but I remember like going to like a zine launch party, like and whatever, yeah, or a couple yeah. bands and stuff. And it was just like I thought it was I was always like super into the idea of a zine, right? Where you're just sort of like you're like, well, I can get my friends together and write a bunch of content. And there seemed to actually be like an audience for it at the time. Now, if you were like, I think a lot of people are probably like, oh, like I started a zine. And they're like, you mean a blog? And you're like, no, no, no. Like well, a physical thing. And yeah. it, it's like that it become, I think the internet has sort of made it a little more niche. Not necessarily eliminated it, but there seemed to be like that appetite to like, if yeah, if you wanted to read a music review yeah, somewhere yeah, not in a magazine sponsored by like, HMV or the Gazette or whatever, you'd have to find a zine. Like you'd find yeah, a guy yeah. who is into your music style and you'd like him as a reviewer. And if he happened to be like publishing in a zine, well, you're going to go after that. Like it was like a very different yeah. analog blogging. Well. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, basically. Thank God that actually when blogs did come out and a lot of and Pitchfork and stuff like that, all mm -hmm. these zines that were basically somebody ranting on about how much they love their favorite band yeah. tended to disappear. So I'm probably kind of happy at how that worked out. So but the critical um, ones. <laughs> but in, in, the, in the 90s, although we can't forget that things like the Montreal Mirror or the Hour or way back, like the Rolling Stone, the Village Voice in the 60s, yeah. they kind of started out as zines. And for the reason that nobody else was covering this kind of stuff. Like, there was yeah. so much youth culture, new kinds of music, whatever. Any period where the mainstream or even the, the so-called hip media or music yeah. magazines start to get a little out of touch, you'll get zines to pop up yeah. and cover other stuff. But what's changed since the 90s, the 90s might have been the last time where there was this cycle of some zine comes out and evolves into some sort of actual magazine mm -hmm. and it becomes like a media empire like Vice, you know. Like, yeah. they, they, they stepped in because things like the Mirror and the Hour and... And, uh, you know, the alternative press was just kind of out of touch. Yeah. Um, and so you always end up with these kinds of cycles. But that, that cycle has kind of come to a bit of an end because there's, there's not a lot of, um, uh, yeah, everything's in chaos with the media. Uh, yeah. And Which scenes are luckily still there because yeah. um, 
there's just so many different things that, and reasons why somebody would put pen to paper or decide to put, you know, reproduce a bunch of drawings or whatever. Yeah. Um, even if so, some genres are completely gone because of the web. Yeah. Uh, like I say, good riddance. But even then, like, I mean, like, I think that there's, yeah. But I think even then, I, like, personally, like, obviously, like, I, I do, do the podcast and uh, have, like, a blog and whatever else. Like, I still think that there's personally and this is just like this is complete like bullshit on my part because it's just like a, a sense per use hey uh like it feels almost that you're we're starting to get closer to that appetite but possibly like online because like now that like if you look for a blog like you you almost have to be on like uprox or like uh, buzzfeed or whatever like you know what i mean like all the blogs conglomerated have become so big i feel that there starts or even like oh like forum discussions all the web forums have shut down and they've all been kind of like yeah, eaten by Reddit. Reddit and stuff you know like you know what I mean? Like it's like it's like the, the, the places where you would go to get your like non mainstream view on the internet are now also mainstream and I was like, I don't know what the So there's like an opening for like an indie like there's like a new niche being Maybe a new internet. Filled, yeah. <laughs> like I don't like I don't or know what I don't know what print, you know? Yeah, like I don't know what the answer is, but I feel that there's so many people who are like, Oh, I don't go on Reddit anymore because of the way it's moderated or the way be- yeah, the way yeah. that whatever, XYZ or I don't read this blog anymore well, because they got bought by Viacom or whatever. Yeah, I know. Like, my point of view is it's all total chaos. And yeah. the only thing that'll last from our era are the zines and the stuff that somebody printed out. Yeah. Because it's like, try to download it. Remember the first blogs in the late 90s, early 00s? Do you yeah. still have real media player to play them with? Probably yeah, yeah. not. Yeah. You'll probably have some like really small RM files yeah. on the computer somewhere, but they're gone. <laughs> uh, all to say, I, I think it has more to do with replacing mass media uh, uh, the personals ads the uh, uh, the classifieds yeah. um, and media like like we were saying movie reviews and people's opinions on a movie um, a lot of this stuff is what's really um, uh, you know what's happening this week what are people talking about the latest movies coming out that's really the internet has really fucking taken over and kind of yeah. replaced a lot of that yeah um, but I don't even and even there it's just kind of it's doing it in a, in a, like I say, a chaotic way where, you know, 10 years ago it was a totally different model with certain companies doing yeah. well, others not. Um, it's still kind of trying to find itself as, uh, but it mostly just replicates that old, like, you know, imagine being in the 80s, pulling up the Montreal Gazette and having all those listings or the Montreal Mirror to see if, you know, trying to find a basis for your band. Yeah, I remember, um, I, yeah. I was the internet like has really replaced all that. And opinion, too. Like, if, uh, as we know now with the election and uh, scandals in the yeah. States and Brexit, like Facebook and so on. For facts and information, not so great. But yeah, no, 100%. Inv- opinion and ranting and, and, and listing, you know, your, your... And I mean, yeah, I just, like, I literally, I was watching, on, um, I watched John Oliver's uh, last week tonight yeah. all the time, and he just did... Um, the one he just like literally did this week was about like slap lawsuits, which are like lawsuits that are just designed to like litigate. Yeah, they're like bullying. Yeah. But basically to bully. So it's like I- I'm gonna like take you to court and say that you you said shit about me. And while we're in court, you can't or while that all those proceedings are, you a you can't say anything more about me. So I've effectively silenced you. And then B, it'll still cost you like a hundred or two hundred thousand dollars even to beat me at court, even though the like the lawsuit is nonsense. The initial nonsense. claim is, yes. Yeah, the initial claim is, like, nonsense. And they were talking about, like, how the news is afraid to necessarily put opinion on the air, you know? Like, because someone could, if they put any kind of, like, opinion yeah. or editorialize. But I don't think that that, obviously that, not to say I don't think, obviously that doesn't apply if you're, like, a DIY zine publisher. You could say what you want. Well, you kind of have to be careful. You still can end up getting sued. I mean, the internet's a little crazy. Well, uh, sure. But, I mean, but, but I think it's very, 
you could still end up getting sued, but like, not to say they wouldn't sue you, but like, <laughs> they're not gonna go after you the way you they would if you were on HBO, where they know there's like they know there's a, a money and a, like whatever. Well, like yeah, but those kinds of things they specifically target people who don't have lawyers. Yeah. Um, as a longtime freelance writer, like, so I didn't just put out zines or you know mm. publish some of them, but I, I used to write for a lot of uh, magazines like uh, was it Saturday Night and stuff like that. I used to write for Voice Vice mm -hmm. as well, but they, mm -hmm. they used to alter my writing too much. Mm -hmm. I didn't, didn't do that much. But um, one of the perks for writing for like a big or real paper, like I used to pitch articles to the Mirror just to be able to get a press pass and be able to call like you know the media department at Hydro Quebec or some company's yeah, PR yeah. person. Yeah. <laughs> Um, or if I had something really spicy that I wanted to write about or, or you know, stuff I couldn't quite check all of the allegations, well, then you ask, you know, you actually uh, being able to publish it with a company that had lawyers or a legal department yeah. was was great. But mm -hmm. there's some stuff that I wouldn't have gone and just put in my own magazine because then they decide to, to, no, to no, sue, me no and sue me out of business <laughs> or even if it's something like this slap lawsuit where they just yeah. do it because they know I can't afford to fight back. Yeah. It would be a real pain. Mm. So there's still a lot of, uh, and yeah, the whole thing actually, that's, I don't want to digress into uh, whether you know the internet was good or not for free speech and stuff, but it's not exactly. Uh, uh, I don't think it's what it could. Great. I don't think it's what it could be. I no, think I think no one would argue. So that. Essentially, it's a public space, a public forum. Yeah. So one thing I've learned is like if yeah if you're going through any sort of legal issue, uh, it's really best not to talk about it at all, which kind of sucks because you'd like to be able to talk about you know, for, and to just take an ev eviction for example. Yeah. Um, apparently, uh, yeah, I know a few people being evicted and their landlords have been following you know actually sending them threatening letters mm. for criticizing my fucking landlord and stuff like that wow. on Facebook. So all of a sudden everyone feels like they have to shut up. That's crazy. And, uh, well, to anyway. the surprise of no one, landlords are scum. <laughs> um. But that speaks to another reason for zines. Um, there yeah. was an interesting exhibit, a bit of a digression, but there's some of this will be at Exozine this coming weekend. Hong Kong, we don't know about the protests. Course, yeah. There was just yeah. another, uh, somebody got shot. I don't know if they end up dying, mm. but there's video of somebody being shot point blank that came yeah. out yesterday. Um, China is nuts. Like they, I don't know if you know that in the country of China, everybody has a rating now, like as a three, one to five stars or whatever. The government mm -hmm. gives you a rating based on what you say online, what you do online. Wow. And in fact, if you're, you're considered suspicious, if you're not online hardly at all, yeah. uh, zines have always in these kinds of countries. And to this day, there's a huge explosion of zine making in Hong Kong now because it's anonymous. Yeah. Um, they tr even make efforts to try to not be able to trace the printer or where it printed yeah. from. Um, and they're getting all sorts of ins stuff out there, messages, obviously their their philosophy and the reasons they're protesting, but also things like pamphlets and, and you know actual useful uh, information That's about so cool. uh, how to uh, act during the protests and so on. Every time you get this kind of a crackdown or you have a, a country that's like going full out crazy big brother, yeah. zines are an amazing like way to get around that. It's so, it's so funny, like just like wh while you were saying that, I mean obviously uh, like my brain went immediately yeah. to like actually like the invention of the printing press and like and what it meant for society though it was just sort of like you could quickly disseminate like information and get well, it out the there the reason it was invented yeah by, uh, exactly that's it but you're like, i mean you had like you had church and state even then being like whoa well, the protestant are? religion yeah. started like three years after the printing press yeah. came out because martin luther was like hey i'm gonna print a, like, a couple hundred of these sheets saying i am protesting the catholic church yeah exactly poof, that's it. like but it's so crazy how like how that's yeah exactly that's it like now like from the invention of the printing press to like Hong Kong 2019, you're still like, it's still important occasionally to put a printed thing oh into yeah. someone's hands. Even you know? more so, and China hates it. If they could ban printers, 
maybe that'll be their next step. Yeah. They can't stand zines because they are their entire model of authoritarian China today is to have everything happen online so they can log it and monitor every single bit of it. So mm -hmm. it's a major threat for them to have like people rediscovering or using this stuff. Uh, but there have been societies where printing presses were seized. And, and yeah, of course. Yeah. I talked to people who were rounded up during the October crisis in Montreal. Um, let's not forget that um, it wasn't just a separatist thing when uh, the... Um, the FLQ uh, took their hostages. Uh, yeah, they declared Largely law, thanks to Jean Drapeau, they, the, they sent the police a list of writers and artists to go round up. You know, basically everybody who'd ever criticized the mayor. And, uh, and, yeah, and so a lot of people had yeah. nothing to do with separatism got rounded up. And I know some writers who had their typewriters seized. They literally would go door to door and take people's typewriters away because they were trying to find the match to the ransom notes uh, to find out who typed it and the only way to do that was to analyze literally typewriters they I'm had a so fucking they must have had a building full of typewriters because <laughs> i talked to at least two or three people who had their typewriters taken away by yeah. the rcmp during the FLP. i'd be so mad it, <laughs> it goes to show you know like where we have to kind of be happy we have this freedom of expression online it's really tricky i mean obviously yeah. it's um, it's great in a comfortable society such as our own but uh yeah it's uh, like it's the know. ultimate anonymity and also the ultimate paper trail at the same time you know what i mean i mean well not it's, a, it's not a paper a trail but it, it's it's sort of if someone has the tools to do it, you're more traceable than you've ever been. Yeah, exactly. That's it. Um, Even if a lot of them, but on yeah. sort of the on a, on a lower level, on the face of it, you're extremely anonymous and untraceable. Yeah, but that's and, it. But and then to someone who's a, on a less sophisticated system, you can very much disappear and do all sorts of things. But yeah, but the internet is forever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like it's <laughs> it, you it know, sort of it's a cool <laughs> mistress in that sense. It's Even like a lot then. of give and take like, oh, in, in how much privacy you get and whatever. Yeah, in well archiving, no, the, uh, figuring out how to preserve the internet. Or, or, you yeah. know, let's say the three quarter of it's already lost since the yeah, oh yeah, 80s so or whatever. Um, oh, but anything recent, yeah, and you can like uh, it's even not just even the files, if you delete it, they have they have like the they have you know the those websites you can just go and be like, show me someone's Facebook page from 2008. Yeah, we'll do it. Yeah, Records of it. Oh God, awful. All of the well, I mean something all, like all a, of my middle school statuses. Um. It's still <laughs> really, really, really ephemeral and, and difficult to manage. But wha what's great with with something like zines is even if they're anonymous, over time you'll end up you know like we pull out boxes of zines from the 80s all the time, and people were you, you see what they felt like uh, whether yeah. they're just regular people or activists or whatever. Yeah. Um, you know. Um, and uh, obviously in the last 10, 12 years, a lot of identity politics and all this kind of thing, you really see that a lot in zines. Yeah. Even zines that are anonymous uh, that you might find in 20 years, 30 years, 40 years in an archive that really say a lot about the, the trends, yeah. uh, what people were thinking, what people were feeling. And uh, in some cases, maybe more so than what we were able to sift through and find online. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's the other challenge of the internet is the, um, you know, every passing day, how many millions of photos and videos are added to it. Like yeah. Well, it's that's just that unwieldy. I mean, that, that's part of it's like anonymity is it's art, you know, yeah, like you're just like in a in a sea of information. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, and that, I think that's always something that like appealed to me about like zines or whatever, because like I said, we do we do run the website and I don't want to diminish it. But if I like snap like a couple hundred photos of a show or whatever else, I'll like I'll trim it down to like, you know, a hundred and then post the entire album. But if I'm like if I have the one photo that I'm gonna use for to be the concert review, mm. it's gonna be like the one photo and it's gonna be such a different process, I think, of like choosing it. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? As opposed yeah. to being like, here's this gallery of all the shots I took or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and you're like, no no, you get one photo because it's a Page. Well, you know, <laughs> a, a proper <laughs> website still go through all that. The, the reason why all, all these years after the internet, there's still Shade. the big 
yeah. mainstream media <laughs> newspapers that, and magazines like The Atlantic or uh, uh, New Yorker that are super popular online, they even charge, uh, is that they actually kept the machine of proofreaders, editors, and yeah, copy yeah, editors, exactly. travel budgets, research, fact checkers. Um, and yeah, there they still the are. In 1995-96, people were saying Salon and Slate and all these newcomers are going to completely wipe out the old media. Yeah. And, I mean, some of those are still there, but um, there's still you still can't get around all of the, the expertise and the, the proper use, you know. And I, 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 that just reminded me of when you mentioned, uh, like, if you're doing a book or a zine and you go through all your photos off your phone, then, yeah, it's a whole other process, picking one or two or three. Yeah, exactly. I mean, to tell the, the whole story you're trying to tell. Taking the photo is very, you know what I mean? Like, if you have, again, a film yeah, camera. Yeah, a film camera, yeah, you're going to... And you're, you're gonna just <laughs> like, all right, I have X amount of shots, let me try to frame it right. Whereas if you have a phone or even a digital camera, yeah, you're yeah. like... Okay, run. who wants 18 shots of my shoes real quick? Yeah, you, know, yeah. Like you can just well, take as thing, many as you uh, want, and it really... Um, yeah. My, my no, all the media that I've seen and consumed uh, over my not that long life, I'm not 50 yet, but um, <laughs> obviously I've always been a big reader and consumer and stuff of media. Um, it feels like, uh, yeah, there's just more. There's always more. There's always a new format. At least yeah. every 10 years there's something new. And, and the internet is kind of like... 15 new formats in the last yeah. 50, 20 years. Start with the web, then, you know, finally, then we had YouTube. Yeah. It's all over that when I first yeah, came Yeah, before out. that, there was the bulletin boards um, and whatever. Obviously, like yeah, the forums were pretty similar to Usenet and stuff yeah. like that. Um, but it's still just kind of like added to all of what was already there. There's not yeah. a whole lot of, of old media types that are completely gone. It's just like the pile keeps growing of formats and, and so options, it seems like. Uh, so Exposine, I guess is obviously I think like like I mean we're, we're talking about like oh like the zine as a thing obviously there's some longevity because you're still running it's the 18th one yeah, yeah. 18th annual <laughs> one. Uh, yeah. the first two were when people were saying wow this is not going to last long because yeah. the internet's about to replace everything yeah. I'm even going to the bathroom in the internet so you can now it's old enough to drink take <laughs> that critics <laughs> uh, and yeah so it, it's you have zines and also prints and stuff so well like, uh, so we've kind of created over, over the years we've kind of uh spun off a print fair because there used to be a print corner at Exozine. Yeah. There's too many people that were s printing posters and things but not necessarily making zines. They kind of deserve their own fair. Mm -hmm. We even have a new art book fair. We just did our second edition last month, volume two. Next year will be volume three. Okay. And that's because there's actually, in the rest of the world, zine fairs aren't really zine fairs anymore. They mostly call them art book fairs and they're a little bit more, um, not upscale, but they're... Uh, yeah, they have less comics and poetry, and they're more about really abstract books, books okay. about art, art zines. Oh there's yeah. some really big ones. There's uh, some zine fairs, uh, so art book fairs in, in Europe with like 400 different publishers. Uh, New York has one called Printed Matter that has like, all, again, also 400. They're like a expo zine on steroids and with okay. a lot of fancier, uh, you know, artists who make fancy, fancy zines uh -huh. type thing. Um, but so it's yeah, like I mentioned before, it's it's still there. But the, the, the kind of stuff people make has definitely evolved quite a bit in 18 years. So at this point, Exposine is it just more just for the zines or whatever? Because you've spun off your prints. Or? It's more uh, yeah, a little bit closer to the literary scene because what's really cool is that when you talk about poetry and literature and the boring shit, it's still happening on both the English side and the French side. But they really, really, really are kind of like join the zine scene in a way. They really like making their own. Uh, limited edition books. You know, a lot of them work with the, the people who do the print art and then the graphics. Okay. And um, 
And also, there's a kind of like it's actually good again. Like the like recent books of poetry and stuff, they're actually entertaining. And good I again. Are you, well, there was a are you implying there was a time where people were just writing poems? Well, I, I have crappy. to say that I, I had to suffer through when I was publishing Fish Piss, which did have poetry and literature a little yeah. bit, and we would get flooded with submissions. It was like the post-pomo, post-everything phase. Everything yeah. was deconstructivist. It was all about you know taking words apart, and then nothing made sense. And then so what I'm happy is that. You know, after taking a bit of a break from exposing myself to too much poetry, is it actually seems like <laughs> entertaining again, and 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 actually does stuff that you're not seeing elsewhere, yeah. which is poetry neat. has always been uh, like. I feel that it's it's one of those things that you're like, when it's done well, it can be so good, but it's like it's very easy to do bad poetry. Oh yeah. So you end up with like such a massive amount of like, oh no, this is bad. This is not. Oh, yeah, there's lots of. <laughs> like there was a rough, uh, or at least where I could tell, there was a rough phase where too many haikus and, and like I say, uh, <laughs> these postmodern. Yeah, uh, poets. But uh, you ever done poetry, Inez? Uh, as a child, I did. I was yeah. yeah, it was it was a weird when thing did you where I wrote a lot of poetry, and then my parents would show it to everyone, and I, so I stopped. Oh. And I've given, I used I've to, never I had taken it back up. I had a whole like college phase where I would write like long bathroom poems because I always thought that it, it was because bathroom. Like it always struck me as hilarious because like bathrooms is the place for the haiku or the whatever. Yeah, like, yeah, like, like, like you know, like your your little three line. But I was like, no, I'm gonna take up like two feet of bathroom wall space with like a very long like rambling poem, which I always thought was funny because it was just not the place for it. <laughs> like, but like, is it not the place for it exactly the place for poetry? You know, no. and that's why, and in my mind, I was always like, I didn't think, I don't think I wrote anything very good on those bathroom walls or whatever. They were just yeah, yeah. like, they were largely like stream of consciousness, poetry, bathroom, bathroom poetry. But I was like, but if it was really long, I always thought I was like, in my mind, there was always that guy who was like, whoa, this is way more than I was expecting to read. Like, I'm not saying, to say nothing of it, I'm not yeah, yeah. trying to, vouch for its quality but i always like that moment of like what the like what is this like when yeah, you come if we're in, talking quality that was garbage who's to say yeah, yeah, quantity yeah. though he was excelling quantity you know? well. i don't think you're expecting a like 20 to 30 line poem when you're like mm, yeah you might not have you're, time you're, unless you've got you're some the problem. savior of the of the of the long pooper <laughs> exactly you know, that's the, it. In, the, in the public bathroom they're like ah oh, thank god finally something to unless read. you're really having trouble finding a vein or something it's, yeah. uh, <laughs> also that's true Maybe it would inspire you, you know? You're yeah. like, oh, crap, I need to get this done right well, You know what, it's, it, what's, what strikes me is what we're talking about here is uh, what I've been seeing in both French and English and, and going to poetry events is it's mm. getting, it's merging with stand-up almost. Mm. We've seen almost as many, like, laugh lines and, and people rolling on the, in the aisles at some poetry events in the last couple years. Mm. But, I mean, that's not all of them. You still get the person who goes up there and tries to be all somber or whatever. Yeah. But there's a lot of it is like that. But it's I guess it's because um, I don't know. I don't think they have baggage. The younger generation of, of poets don't have the same baggage to be all artsy or whatever. You need uh, baggage. There's, you there's a bit of a, like, that whole deconstructivist oh, era. <laughs> yeah, people are getting back to, like, zingers and, and, you know, just saying things. Ultimately, you want to say a whole lot with as few words as possible. And, yeah. and, and often they're funny. But they're also at Exposine, it's not, it's more the there's stuff they, they call it visual poetry, or it's not even you're not too sure what it is. There's mm. drawings and words, but it's not a comic or a graphic novel. Yeah. So um, 
there's really a lot of that kind of stuff which I like because it's 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 really like the book itself becomes an art form. Uh, the zine yeah. itself becomes a really nice what thing. Sometimes you just want to buy it because you're like, wow, this is so nicely made. I have no freaking idea what it's about, but the drawings look nice and it's just a nice product. You know. What was that like? There was a comic. I mean, you I feel you will know this almost immediately. There was like a comic, but it was like a photo and writing piece. It was a guy out of Toronto and did it. It was always like really dark. Are we talking a softer world. Are softer we world. A softer there world? we go. Where yeah, yeah. I remember that guy. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. That's it. Like softer world always like struck me as one of those like prototype things where you're just sort of like it's like a series of photos sometimes even the same photo with like just like a small selection of word that like recontextualizes it yeah, each yeah, time yeah. and stuff and it was like yeah it's not really like calling it a comic is a disservice Almost. You know the, the <laughs> it, it, it was definitely stepping outside of, co like it had a foot in comic. The format you know? is a comic. It's usually it, a three panel. And you it know, has like a bit of a foot in poetry and it just has a bit of a foot in like, like internet nonsense word, a bit. You know, it's, a bit, like it's like a, it's like a it's verging on the gibberish. I loved a softer world. Yeah. Um, I, I feel bad. I have, I have one of their print books. It was also, I, I liked that uh, the co it was collaborative, you know, so, so there, was a, there was like a, Emily something something was it, something the Como. The Joey Como is the yeah, writer. Joey was yeah, Joey was on the road, yeah. and then and then the Emily would take the photos. So then yeah. often they were completely unrelated because Joey would. I mean, I don't remember if this was exactly always their process, but he would receive the photos and then sort of turn them into these comics. Yeah. And then sometimes they were related. Sometimes it was just a nice background image. I imagine sometimes he already had an idea for a comic that he wanted to do. Yeah. Um, and especially when the combinations were kind of nonsensical, it was like. It, it, it sort of creates this third channel. You know, there's like the, her photography and his writing yeah. and somehow what they make together in this strange, unexpected uh, combination was cool. Well, yeah, it's like... I a dug them. Shout out to a softer world. Yeah. I hope you're doing okay, Joey. Yeah. And it's Emily. <laughs> yeah, I know, but it's almost like... It's rare, and I mean, and I get like this again where my brain goes with a lot of zines or whatever, is I think like a, lo a lot of zines had this and it was always one of my favorite things was when someone, potentially like another contributor would like have like comments or whatever written in the margins. Yeah. So you end up with kind of like, it was very, f I, f I s remember it being frequently in like l late 90s zines or whatever. Yeah. Your editor would just be like, blah, like writing something on the side. And it was like, and Softer World kind of that similar deal. It's rare that you get to see artists kind of like mashed up. You know, like usually you're like, I'm looking at this one thing, but I feel that yeah, print yeah. medium is where I think you can start to sometimes see an Maybe behind the curtain a photographer and a writer jamming if that makes any sense it's yeah like, you it's, don't r it's really getting wild now there's it's yeah. just there's a big trend speaking of photography photo zines that are kind of like some of them are clearly instagram generation zines yeah. there's so many of them and th some of them are being sold at moma or at the fine art museum of fine arts museum mm. of contemporary arts library or bookstore and so on um they're so popular but people put out a zine with maybe 28 p 20 four pages or 30 pages and every single one is a well-printed photo yeah. and that's it there's no words there's no narrative except for you're clearly supposed to understand something about the flipping <laughs> through 28 photos or 12 photos or sometimes yeah, yeah, yeah. i've seen big books with 60 or 80 or 100 pages or whatever how many and like they're very very abstract and it's it's interesting i think some i don't know what it is i'm not so much of an instagram person but maybe some of the people are thinking of trying to replicate instagram stories but in zine format but they're hugely popular every year at Expozine, there's at least two or three new collectives of of kids in their early 20s usually Putting well, out just a table full of these zines. Can I take a little peek at whatever it is you brought out there? Yeah, yeah this is the, like, the type of zine that excites me because yeah, you just yeah, flip I through like it and then 
That's all you do is you flip through it. I like this already. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's but it's, but that's how people. Friendly. But that's uh, how people engage with Instagram, right? So like this is this is an acid trip. Um, yeah, hundred percent. Manual. I don't know. People are sure. really playing with the form. Um, That's crazy. This example is mainly two, Im two or three images of a skull, really, really, really gothed out yeah. skull, printed over and over and over and over across the pages. And at some point, there's so many printed all at the same time that you kind of lose. On you the have to quite figure out what it on is. the right, on the right combination of drugs. That's fun for hours. Well, that's these like things are... Yeah, that's like getting lost in it, and it's like, what? Some yeah. of these have become worth a lot of money. That Banksy guy, for example, he's done a few zines like that, and it's all it is is wow. putting a few these, you know, a few pages together and deciding, well, let's make 50 of this. Here's 24 pages, and I know somebody could print it. Yeah. Next thing you know, like, a lot of the stuff that's at Expo Zine sells out over the course of the weekend. And yeah. It's not... We're not and quite it's at the... It's the only run, it's right? It's not like there's like art collectors jumping on it right away, but they probably will, like... Maybe yeah. millennials and Gen Xers are going to end up being yeah. like yeah, know, I mean big collectors of vintage Incredible zines. to think of Banksy starting out on the streets and then the whole debacle with that auction going on, you know, just sort of the the, the absurd arc of, yeah. you, you know what I'm talking yeah, about, yeah. with the, with the self-destruction. Yeah, yeah, anyway. yeah. This is gorgeous. Um, that, that is gorgeous. I I think every Hand single printed. page of that is a masterpiece, yeah. honestly. And yeah. There's only so many made. Actually... Yeah, I think they made a point of making 666 of this one. Of course they did. Of course they did. That but is the beautiful. The, the coolest number. I mean, everything. Even, like, the sort of the paper it's printed on, it's slightly textured. It's all yeah. very... It's a very immersive experience. You know? Well, it's in the short version of one of the cliche lines we say every year at Exposy Injury, media interviews like this one, I guess, yeah. sort of, is that in reaction to the internet just kind of being everywhere and all over the place, the um, zine makers and artists started making the zines nicer and nicer and nicer. Like, yeah. uh, you don't see black and white photocopied zines with just nothing but te fine text album reviews anymore or whatever. You yeah, know? which is which is great. Like I say, um, I but, got uh, so sorry. Uh, all of this is everything. All, you're, everything you're saying is like no, it's all it's all like running back to me because I remember um, I mean, when I was a, a high school kid, I was very into uh, like the burgeoning like hacker culture and stuff. Yeah. And I remember watching 2600 evolve from basically a zine to a full-fledged magazine. Like, you yeah, know, and, like, yeah. and watching something that was like so counterculture and like when you said like the black and white photocopies, I'm like, yeah, like the early, the early, I don't know if you're familiar with 2600 yeah, yeah, yeah. or whatever. Yeah. But it's like the early 2600s were black and white and whatever. Yeah. And then I was like, the later era of 2600 was like, like nice like thick stock and full color or whatever and I was like yeah, yeah. how did this happen As 2600 was a so 2600 was the megahertz that you needed to open up a phone line on a pay phone and it was like early hackers used to yeah early you're saying so many words yeah. that mean yeah. nothing to early me. hackers <laughs> used to be able to ping a tone into a pay phone to get free phone calls Oh, oh, I've heard about this. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's it. So I know. I know. <laughs> there was a, a zine that was called 2600, which was like predating even the, well, not predating. It referenced Usenet and stuff a lot. Like well, a lot of those bulletin boards. Yeah, like, like a real fanzine, a specialty of specialized. Yeah. Like, and, and it was. nobody else is writing about. And a lot of it was like very political, like about the, and it was crazy, like when I think back to it, because they, they would talk about realities that were dealing with now because there was no there were no laws like you're like is this illegal like something like on the internet or whatever yeah. you know like to to spread how to make a bomb or whatever yeah like and it was so there was no i remember was it 
this is a complete like this is a complete ramble for our listeners. Uh, was it Kevin Mitznick or whatever? I think it was a guy in England who was held in jail for like nearly 20 years with no real charges because he had broken no real laws except for like some vague like trumped up terrorism things. But he was just a hacker, <laughs> you know. And it was just like, and the 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 zine would just deal with like, what are we doing? Because there was like, yeah, yeah. you're writing about something where there's no laws, and that's sort of that's when I talked about earlier about the legal stuff, where if you don't have, if you just want to write about whatever you want to write about, you're going to end up with, the, like you said, the guy who loves the band, <laughs> who's yeah. every, epi- every issue of the zine is how much this band is amazing. And you're like, what am I, why would I care about this? But you're also going to, I think, like have those diamond in the roughs of like really interesting people with really interesting things to say, right? Like, so that, I guess all that to say, how many zines have you had to flip through and how many are garbage? Well, uh, <laughs> what percentage of the zines that we can find at Expo Zine are garb? No, 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 no. It's gone a lot better. And actually, <laughs> part of the reason it's better is that we're able to. Uh, so many people want a table, like lots of people just can't get in, and so we we don't ask for a specific style or thing, but you know, there's a certain bar to to cross. Okay, uh, there's not too much. What's your sort of basic, like, this is what you need to do to even be considered well, a it, zine? It has to be artistic. This isn't just for, like, commercial comics. We really get a lot of people there who couldn't get a table at Comic-Con or the Festival de BD, but it's like it's like manga or shiny, you know. They're, like, trying to be uh, do superhero comics or something. Mm. It just doesn't fit. Exposine is really kind of alternative, countercultural, uh, different. If it's artistic or literary, it should be experimental, not fucking cheeseball regular stuff like yeah. so you know a big commercial publisher wants to join in no we're not going to get a table do you have like what is your what is a what is an exposine rejection letter look like bye well, <laughs> i mean they're actually there, well, there, there's two kinds there's like big publishers or something they, they don't quite get it they're like hey we just put out a new set of s- uh, recipe books and the montreal is such a foodie city you know it's like no no recipe books come mm. on no self-help no cookbooks mm-hmm. no uh, you know sometimes you have given a mission guidelines so there's there's like, like you know real publishers who end up getting the story of that like yeah you know they're like how come you don't take our money for small press sponsorship it's that's like, an easy one like, it's got to at least be not close. for you yeah. and then on the low 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 end it's it's like we really don't want to have it be not accessible to the person who's just starting because that's kind of the whole point of exposition. Right. But sometimes people are like, "Listen, I need to know if you're gonna take, you know, give me a table or not." I applied a few weeks ago, but I mean, I need to know otherwise I'm not gonna print my zine. And it's just like, well, you know what? You don't get a table. That's mm. all it is. And unfortunately, there's a bunch of people who do that every year. And they're like, listen, I'm not going to fucking put out a zine if I don't have a table at Exposine because that's the place, you know. It's just yeah. like, the hell? No, like, get on it and do it and be a zine maker. And then, sure, then you got to spy. Let me bring up my own zine project. It's not really a zine, though. The, let, me, let me see if this would qualify as a zine to you. Some part of a, um, a print slash online content comedy journal technically under Concordia but not really student run yeah. would that be the kind of thing that could be um, eligible for exposing well it has it, it's like it, it literally looks like a newspaper you know it's like very much like a satirical newspaper slash comedy journal type of thing um, print media it could uh, I mean ideally there had already been a few of them out by the time uh you know, again, if this is something that actually exists and it's it's happening, like there was a newsprint magazine called The Void from Concordia that's 
for many years took a table out. Mm -hmm. Not quite sure what the void is. Was that, are you at Concordia or were you recently? A, a well, no, I've never. I was at some point a student of McGill. I, okay. I already graduated about three years ago, and I just joined this project um, because it's being run by a fellow comedian who happens yeah. to be a Concordia student. And I just joined the project because the comedy journal seemed interesting cool. to me. Uh, we are about to print our third issue, so oh, it's right definitely on. an already existing thing. Um, Does it actually have comedy in it, or is it just trying to get people to come to the? No, to it's the very clubs? no. It's 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 all comedy content. It's not it's not meant to it be. Better be funny. Sort of a uh, well, comedy subjective. You know? <laughs> uh, but yes, no. It completely attempts to be uh, comedic. I mean, we have satirical news. There's you know some angle of being in the in the general family of the Onion and the, yeah. the hard times and the Beaverton. But Frank uh, there used to be one called Frank. Yeah. I think people have already forgotten that existed. I that was a Canadian, quite possible. A quite Canadian possible. magazine from Ottawa. But, um, yeah. but since it's a journal, we also, you know, we take in submissions, so people also print comics in it, and we have poetry, which is always a strange place to see how common... I was thinking about that exactly when you brought up sort of poetry getting funnier as it yeah, goes. Yeah. Um, and just, you know, yeah. Basically anything people think uh, would go in our journal, and we vet it, and we put it in there, and we print it out, and it, yeah, it's a fun time. Cool, yeah. It's too late now for this year, but you guys, if you keep it going, you should uh, apply for a table next time. Absolutely. If I you sell it, if mind. it's just for free, then I always say people could come and leave a stack. You know, we have a couple tables near the it front. It is, as a matter of fact, free, so I would yeah. love to come by and drop it. All right, so I guess that there is you the... There Oh, man, people well, love the free tables. I guess we never really covered exactly what the, what the um, concept of Exposina is. So it's just, it's basically... A convention people can go and have their table and sell their zines yeah the but it, it's a little crazy because it's we really pack them in um and uh and where where will it be happening or does it usually happen does it always happen in the same place no for many years we had a pretty nice church basement that some people protested about and so we moved no, was actually. it by any chance the church on um, on uh, Saint Joseph and uh, Saint, Saint Dominic? Yeah, although I knew it. I could tell. I was like, you, church you know what, basement. Though? It's got to be that church. Well, actually, the the, the 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 story of that one is that stupid mayor of the, the plateau. I'm a resident of the plateau, so I I, I, I learned. Cheers, to Saint. You're, you're allowed to call the mayor. Look, cheers to the plateau. Was one of my mortal I'm enemies. Not cheersing. I'm in the never liked the guy. <laughs> but uh, sorry, he saw fit to whatever. Eco, help the poor. I, don't know. I never believed any of their Projet Montréal's like supposedly lefty or progressive policies. Yeah. But one of his crazy ideas that basically turned it into a rich person's district is that they built like a $10 million fountain in the park in front of that church. Oh, yeah. It immediately that. started flooding into the church. Of course. So it we is. can't really, it smells moldy down there now. And oh, wow. Well, when I was, so um, that, that fountain that's out there, that's like a, that's new? Yeah, that yeah, whole park. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they spent three years tearing apart and then rebuilding that park for something like fifteen million dollars. I mean, it's I call it uh, town of Plateau Montréal now. It's for rich people only, and then things like Projet Montréal, what they've done, redoing every single sidewalk to put planters in it, and just I mean the the, the hundreds of millions they've spent. They literally redo sidewalks to get whiter cement now because so apparently cool. it'll reflect the heat and help with global warming. One of the cement is like the worst thing for global warming. Like if you yeah. could just not pour cement, you, you don't do it if you care about global warming. So these also it's, they're idiots. So we sadly had to leave that, that church, but then so did all of our artists. We're now further north near Jean Metro, and I look yeah. at the list of people applying for Exposine. Everyone lives further north. 
Yeah. Plateau and my land has yeah, been wiped out of Yeah, artists. you keep it's moving not, north. It's so expensive to live around there now. It's it's over. So everybody's uh, everybody's elsewhere. Uh, you know, whether it's St. Henry or DG or Rosemont or, or even Axe, Hunsick. Yeah. Even you know, my my prediction is Cartierville is eventually going to be the hot spot for artists. Well, that was I mean, yeah, because I'll be the only one left. I you just heard it here first. <laughs> hey, no, I just uh, my wife and I just just purchased our first thing, and like literally one of the only places we could buy in was Point St. Charles. But it was the same. It's the same thing where you're like, yeah, because we were priced out of St. Henry. We're priced out of... St. Charles is rapidly gentrifying. It, and it, we yeah. bought a couple years ago. And like, yeah. and even now from when, yeah. when we've bought to now is even you're like, what is happening? Like, it's just like it it, it runs up real quick. But it's just like, yeah, because you were, like, we were, as first-time homeowners, already priced out of Griffintown and St. Henry. Something that if you had said that like 20 years ago, I'd be like, that's crazy. Uh, yeah, what are you talking about St. Henry? Yeah, 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 Point St. Exactly. Charles, was, they used to talk about demolishing it completely because it was a slum. Yeah. Like, they're like, I used let's, to let's, let's clear the slums of the city and find I used you know. to date, uh, date a girl who lived r- almost right across the street from Charlevoix Metro. This is almost 20 years ago. And it was like genuinely, if you were catching the last Metro home, you would like walk quickly to oh, get yeah, to her Wellington, house. Because yeah. like, you're like, oh, no, there's genuine crackheads. Like yeah, just yeah, and I had friends that lived in apartments in Point St. Charles with, like holes in the floor, wind yeah. coming in through the wall. Like, you know, there well, was some they, they, they th- It was all working class, right? It was they, yeah, they yeah. threw up tenements to work on the yards and whatever. We, and we almost held in there and we'd love to actually, but now I think it's too late. There's a mm. building uh, called Building 7 in Point St. Charles. Okay, yeah, yeah. A bunch of activists uh, spent years. They started by squatting it. Then they went through legal means. They ended up Basically, getting an ownership claim because it was abandoned, and then uh, they there's a there's a brew pub and a co-op, and yeah. uh, there's a print shop. There's all these people from there used to be you know regulars at Exposine that, that helped create that space. I remember that. And they also have they have like a fifty thousand square foot empty warehouse uh, in the building that they basically squatted and then took over and managed to renovate. Uh, the problem now is that they've since they started the project seven years ago, uh, they are now surrounded by condo projects, and the the speculation and the land values are flying up. Yeah, and yeah. It's, uh, it's but crazy. Uh, Point St. Charles is the heart of the working class. I mean, that was a uh, David Finario still lives there. With, oh uh, yeah, who wrote the Balkanville and lifelong communist. And uh, uh, I, was, I was I was I was friends with Joey. Like when I know his no, son, jo- and I was always jo- joking. Josie, to see Joey and the other one. There was the two. Joey was the younger one, and then there was an older one. Well, the one who was closer to my age, Joey was young. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I know his uh, son. Um, yeah. Tom, the Fenario. Tom Fenario. Tom. Tom Fenario. I keep joking him. He's like, hey, you heard your dad's place. He'll be a millionaire there at that, that fancy Point St. Charles working class money. Because <laughs> hey, he's probably sitting in a million dollar apartment. Tom Fenario, uh, because he was friends sad. with Eric Hansen. If you remember Eric Hansen's an old he, friend, a yeah. colleague. He was a Exposine helper for a yeah. few years. And Eric Hansen is now on the... Does he still run a cafe in the He got rid of the cafe. He he wanted to sell it. Yeah, 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 he sold the cafe, and he's... uh, Good call. He asked me to put a distrobo in, and he's like, I don't know if you're hanging on to that cafe, Mm. and I didn't. I think he did okay on the sale, though, so maybe you could have got in on it. It's a Cafe Joe, right? (laughs) Yeah, it was Cafe Joe. Uh, But yeah, no, he's... Eric Hansen's currently on on a crusade against bottled water in the Sudwest. That is his... That's his current... uh, I mean, bottled water... It's the worst. What do we have something against like knock it the out of fight against hands? water bottles or against the garbage water bottles? Right. Yeah. That's a that's a good cause. Yeah. No. Oh, okay. 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 I thought you were bringing it up like, oh, what what no, 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 this fucking guy is on now. Pig's blood on the bottles. Water he might. He, like Eric Hansen, you never know, man. Like he was, <laughs> and he was also he was a big DIY. Yeah, guy, like we sold his cassettes and Distrobodo and his mini CDs. We did, we, did you, we didn't even talk about like uh, you say Distrobodo, so now that's how I'm going to say it. I always called it like Distrobato. 
that was my I don't know why. Like yeah, we just uh, early on we we're like there should These be all O's, distrobado, right? And exactly. It's a bit more English and French that way. And also I I, can't I think as of me it was like Domo Arigato, Mr. Yeah, distrobado. Like Domo Arigato, yeah. Mr. Distrobado. Luckily I think that's kind of out of the pop culture, so let's yeah, leave it out there. That's it. Well, that's so our Zine vending machine. That actually predates Expo Zine. When um, and can I was we still find any of those around? Yeah, he was telling me about it before. A and whole I would bunch of them disappeared two years ago because of we were talking about the plateau in Milan going all gentrified. Well, there oh you go. God. All these oh. places disappeared, and we had to. Well, I, I was this awful I was like routine of going in on the last day of this cafe or club to pull yeah, out yeah. the machine. I was being like, I was like, when I was telling Inez about uh, Distrobodo. Uh, I was like, oh yeah, like, there's one at KGB, and I was like, and KGB is not a place anymore. And I was like, oh no. Well, they just moved uh, further north, and we're is actually going to put one there. There we go. Soon. It's coming back. But there's one across the street coming from back. KGB. Yo, KGB. What a Notre fucking Dame se- uh, it, just, it, it moved like ten, like a ten minute walk up the road. So just complete the place that it used to be at is still empty. It was a great spot. Oh. Just what a great place for Kajibi to yeah, be at. Yeah, but they want like ten thousand a month rent now. Yeah, the rent was yeah, insane. Yeah, no, it's ridiculous. But the the place is still empty, and they're still right by there. So just I'm mean, it's well, absurd. I hate so, it. It's, you know, it's they so actually sad. rented it out for a movie shoot as a vintage cafe. Oh. And they put in a vintage <laughs> cigarette machine right where the distrobo used to be. And I was so pissed <laughs> off. I was like, I would have rented you a machine for 500 bucks or 1,000 bucks. Their movie set crew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like fucking hell. Oh, my uh, God. But anyway. It's so nuts. Uh, Do you want to explain? Uh, the world is garbage. Dis- yeah. yeah, no, please. Well, yeah. It actually yeah. predates Exposine. And, and I should mention, too, just like with Exposine, this wasn't like me. It was in 90, well, 20 years ago. We, we launched, we, me and seven other people who so did So Aninez was a baby. Seven other people who did zines and, and self-publishing. I was five years old. We're yeah. like, we need an organization to do like zine fairs and yeah. book fairs. And, and we, we had the idea to do a zine distro uh, trade or distro share. Yeah. Basically, distro is shorthand for distribution. You yeah. make your own book or zine, that's half the work. The other half, you got to convince stores and, and bookstores right. and yeah, cafes. Yeah. You, know, you want to, can you sell some at the counter or this or that? It's a lot of work. So when we set up the organization, we're like, okay, well, for sure we're going to do like a zine fair and we should do some sort of thing where we share the job of going around to the same stores. The late 90s was like a different, if you like uh, traditional media, it's like a whole other era that a lot of people might be sad to know is gone. Yeah. But, like, well, that's I when I got, that was when I got to know Eric Hansen. Like, like well, if you did a zine, era. you were able to, like, I used to sell my zine on consignment at like, 45 or 50 different stores. Okay. So it would take me like two weeks when a new issue came out to take the bus and go to everywhere. You know, there was a cluster of them near Cote de Neige Metro. There were a a cluster of them in uh, NDG around Girouard, Sherbrooke. The McGill Ghetto had a bunch. Mount Royal Metro always was a great air zone for used bookstores and independent bookstores. You had the, you know, some comic shops that were okay with having stuff. But it was a lot of work to go around all these places. And they were like, well, let's set up a, a, a sort of an association where uh, all the same people have their thing in the same place. We'll just take turns doing the rounds. Yeah. Um, in the end, what happened was a bunch of these places went bankrupt and, and went under. Between the time we set up the organization around 99 and 2001, it was just like... And then Chapters in Indigo, which actually at the time was considered cool. And they, would, they had a zine rack and it would take stuff yeah, off Yeah, I, I remember. They actually... Chapters went bankrupt. Indigo bought them. And unless you had a lawyer, a bankruptcy lawyer, uh, if you had stuff on consignment there as a small publisher, it was a loss. It was totally yeah, gone. Yeah, yeah, because you're way down on the lit of list of people who are yeah, yeah. in debt. Yeah. And sadly, a bunch of independent bookstores uh, closed too at the end of the 90s. There was one called Danger. There was a, there was a Nova for science fiction. There was a whole bunch I that, that Nova, sadly yeah, yeah. disappeared. So then we're like, oh, well, so much for that idea. 
Hmm? But then uh, our friends were opening this place called Casa del Popolo, actually, because they, they used to be there, before Casa del Popolo, it was called Art Show. Terrible band name. Terrible yeah. uh, club name. Art yeah. and Shows. So they called it Art Show, which in French means artichoke. But um, they actually had a zine rack, and then they kind of were run by crackheads and went under, and then our friends from who eventually you took know, it over called it Casa del Popolo. <laughs> I was, basically, I was helping to run a... Um, you know, they took it over as Casa del Popolo, and they didn't like the zine rack. It was messy. It was a real pain. You had these poor zinesters and poets coming in every week. Did I sell one? Oh, I sold one. Can you give me the three bucks? Because I really need the three bucks cause <laughs> for whatever reason. So um, we had this idea of doing a zine uh, vending machine. And I'd seen one in the States. So in the 1998, the Artomats machine started out in, in, the, in the U.S. And the, by chance, because I also used to play music and be in bands and stuff. I mm. saw one of these machines on a tour. I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. And so then, then uh, you sell when we came back to, to Canada, we, we realized actually that Canadian cigarette packs are the exact same size as a cassette case. Yep. And they're like nice and big. And, and I was already making these little zines that were about that size. I was like, because I remember you sold the get. You say also be able to get cassettes in them a lot. Yeah, right? yeah. We sold like hundreds and hundreds of cassettes. Remember CDs, when people DVDs. listened to cassettes and smoked real life cigarettes? Ah, those, those were the days. You cassettes were are back though. <laughs> CDs, CDs are on the outs. Cassettes are in, and VHS. Yeah, tapes they're man. back. Uh, also, the the analog right, cigarette. I'm sure is going to make a comeback. We, we, vapes we, are just not as aesthetic as cigarettes. Yeah. You know? All these vapes are killing people now. Cigarettes we were at least horrible. it's all natural. You know? We've been and it just looks cool. A vape does not look. Yeah, no, vape looks like your Doctor Who, like, but <laughs> no, but we we've we haven't done it yet. But we've actually the there's been like more than three inquiries where we've done of like to transfer some of our like air quotes like best of podcasts onto cassette huh. to to have like just be like these sure. are, these are the episodes that people really hey, enjoy. I still drive a car that has and a tape here's deck a in cassette, it. and I was like, it was so. And that was another, like, yeah. I mean, uh, it's not we're gonna, we, we know, can talk here for C hours. I did at CKUT, right? And, and about seven or eight years ago, cassettes started coming in again. Yeah. Noise bands love cassettes and free jazz. There's a whole new generation of people who make free jazz music, mm -hmm. and they put it on tape. In the 90s, the only people that kept tapes going were the hip hoppers. And, of course, like my kid Koala famously got his start with this one 30-minute mixtape of that crazy kind of scratching he does. Yeah. He put it in, like, I think he made 30 or 40 copies and put them in the record shops in yeah. town, and there he started. But... I thought it was gone, but in the last seven or eight years, cassettes are like... Yeah, no, tape and uh, tapes. Walkman. They just came out with a new Walkman. You can yeah. now buy a Walkman that'll play tapes, and then also, of course, stick a USB in it or whatever. Yeah. yeah. No, it's uh, like... Nostalgia does wonderful things. To I, I, I'm too old. Alive, I, I, I would be of the generation. If I, can, I listened to a Walkman in the 80s and 90s, but I'm they not going to go back to tapes. It's people who are, like, yeah. too young I to owned a Walkman as a child because I grew up in the third world, and the technology <laughs> was always 20 years behind. But, you know, yeah, you yeah. You're from Bolivia, by the way. I am from Bolivia. So there you go. So I'm from Bolivia. Neither of my parents saw television until they were like well into their adulthood. Even yeah. though they were born in the 50s. It's not anyway. Yeah. So there was a, like, like oh I think so. We're, we're going to head to five questions in like just yeah, a yeah, second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, just, just to, to wrap it up. I and mean, we could talk about this for forever. <laughs> but there's just something about I think like the analog nature of cassettes, of tapes, of zines, of everything that it just always fascinates me. Like I was just um, like I remember in high school. I don't even know how he ended up getting it. He must have gotten the book on tape or whatever. Uh, he got like a book on tape by uh, Andre Crudescu, uh, Plato Sucks, or whatever. Oh, yeah. And then, like, c we're all faux intellectualists in like grade nine and 10, 11, whatever. And then he would like, he made a copy 
of it on tape. And it's like, there's something so different but to be like, check this out. I made you this tape. And you're like, yeah. I'm going to listen to that. If you're like, yo, check this podcast. You're like, nah. Yeah. Like, you know, there's like Look a Look at this playlist. I'm, no, I'm not going to do it. Tapes used to be huge. No. Right? Yeah, you, but you, that's you had a girlfriend or something, you made her a mixtape, and it meant yeah. so much. Yeah, know? exactly. Like, that's people it. People would be like, oh, you know. To say nothing of the of the art that you doodled on it or whatever yeah, onto, the, onto the liner notes. But yeah, if someone was like, I made you this tape, I'd say you're like... 100% rude if you didn't listen to it? Is that what you're... Is like, are we I wouldn't say 100% rude, but I'm saying that like your odds of listening to it increase like astronomically. If I'm like, I made you this tape for you to listen to, you'd be like, I'm going to listen to this versus like, I made you a playlist on Spotify. Like, Yeah, I'd be like, <laughs> ew, no, don't. Yeah, stop that. Don't, don't really send do that me that anymore. link. How dare you? No, yeah. completely. There was yeah. a, what was it? There was a website called Mux Tape for a while now. Okay. mid O's. Yeah. That got really popular really fast because all it did was you pick eight songs, put them together, that's your mixtape. Yeah. And they called it Mux Tape just to, for whatever reason. Yeah. And it, it, for a couple of months it took off and everyone loved it. Oh my God, it's just like the old days. I made a mix. I sent it to someone. But then the lawyers got in and it's all like shut down. Nah. It, it's too complicated now with streaming yeah. to do that. You kind of have to go to analog to, to pick songs that will otherwise get yanked offline because you didn't get permission. Yeah. Right. Uh, Completely. Yeah. Also, I'm, I think their biggest mistake was not calling it Mox Tape. Mox right? tape, like yeah, a mox, mox mixtape. I'm yeah. so I think that was what did them in, really. It was, yeah, the, was the port naming. I that's my that's my their argument. branding was just garbage. No, yeah, you know, I'm sure otherwise they would be Russia thriving they by now. Yeah. All right, so, so yeah, you, you have these questions. So we have questions. So that here's how it works. There's the same three questions we ask to every guest. Then the fourth question is the question from our last guest to you, not knowing it would be you. Oh, okay. Uh, and then the Ooh. fifth question is what question would you like to ask to our future guests. Oh, all right. So I'm telling you the fifth question in advance so you have a little bit of time to let it like percolate right. until we get to it. All right. uh, question number one. How does the world end? Oh, God. They're actually living through it right now, I think. <laughs> uh, the last time the temperature shot up within, uh, within 100 years, 5 or 6 degrees Celsius, 95% of all life on Earth died. Yep. The air very quickly turned into something that wasn't breathable and everything yep. choked and died. Australia yeah, we're, we're is like on woof. fire. We're zooming towards that right now. I forget the, the name. I think it was the... <laughs> anyway, it was, they called it the Great Extinction. It was yeah. the biggest and fastest one. Yeah, because like, indeed, yeah. You know, clear, I'm not seeing anybody avoiding uh, uh, what, you know, what we're heading towards now. So. No, I agree. Uh, but hey, you know, Martin, it's the w this isn't the real part, though. Mark my words, sometime in the next 10 years, it's going to really like hit people, and yep. we're going to live through some serious chaos. So. It's awful. And Once the insurance companies decide that uh, they're not going to pay not out. insuring stuff anymore, it's like, Well, they, they've out. already started doing that in California with the fires. They're yeah. like, hey, we're rescinding your... They literally send people letters that say... Too many people have been claiming their fire insurance, so we're just canceling them. And it's like that's your the entire reason you exist. You can't. But anyway, they get to do whatever they want because. So then we go back to my answer to this question when I was on the podcast, yeah. which is capitalism. So capitalism ends the world. Yeah. Question number two. But I go. will say, when we have a complete infrastructure failure, the internet might not be around, but zines might. What? Yeah, up? you can use them for kindling. No, I'm kidding. Oh, you, should, you can read them. Yeah. Stuff is useful. Yeah. Oh, phone book. The old phone books are the best for kindling. You know how many how many fires you could start with each really? one of those little pages. So that was a dark question. Number question two is, uh, how do you cheer yourself up? <laughs> <laughs> I'm really.
very happy that that show. I don't want to plug any made mainstream media stuff, but it's Prank okay. Yankers. It's like a prank phone call TV show that. Well, it's like the puppets. Was, and yeah, stuff. yeah, yeah, it yeah, just, yeah. It just came back. It's, it's like, like a. It was an early OOs show. You know, the, the, the glory days of pranks with Ali G and all that shit. Yeah, it remind like I I've only watched it slightly, but it reminded me a lot of the like old school Jerky Boy stuff. Yeah, yeah. Like they're somehow still doing it, but I think their secret is that. Like, I mean, nobody picks up their landline anymore, so they don't have any individual person yeah. crank calls. And then who, who ends up staying on the phone during a crank call? Everyone hangs up the minute it looks yeah. fishy. But all they call now are, like, people who have to answer, like a florist to do an arrangement <laughs> for some terrible... It's called businesses. Or, yeah. I love people wasting their time and businesses and customer service. And, and, boy, are they... Cl- they this really is, again... Can I ask the next question? You want to ask the next one? Question yeah. three. But I used uh, to do prank calls. I, did a, I had a phone service job once, and... Uh, I used to. Uh, it should say three. Let me see. I had the power of calling two different yeah. people and putting them on conference calls. So in the middle of the night, I would order pizzas for friends and stuff. So okay. I would call the pizza place and then my friend at the same time, and they would both answer at the same time, and and conf- you know hilarity would ensue. There was so much not because like, so I'd be like, "Why am I talking to you? What's your order? What do you mean order? I didn't call you. Yes, you called us. What's your pizza?" We but I stopped doing that once when somebody actually made an order. We brief we briefly alluded to my fascination with phone freaking from the twenty six hundred oh, yeah, yeah, magazine. Yeah. But yeah, but we used to just nonstop call because payphones used to be able to you used to be able to call a payphone. Yeah, yeah. And we would get like listings of interesting payphones to call off of Usenet, and oh, you yeah. could, we would call payphones uh, in Disney World, yeah. and, and just like I was like, if you're in Disney World and a phone rings and you have and someone you answer, who's yeah. like peppy and whatever on the thing, you like you think it's part of the gimmick, like. Especially in 1998 or whenever the heck it is, you know, like you don't know any better. The internet's not a thing. A phone rang in Disney World, and there's someone happy on the other end. So we would just run with that. There was you could make phones ring in like Times Square. Almost always talk to tourists and stuff. We thought it was briefly funny. To and they were always like, "My God, New York is such a New quirky York is, place." <laughs> New York is crazy. These <laughs> idiot kids from Rosemere are just calling you and wasting your time. And yeah, and the the goal was always to Rosemary. Eh? I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, the goal was always to get them to give us our credit card, which like we. Wow. So you were in, you oh you said you were prank calling strangers. You mean you were scamming strangers? If on they the phone. were really into it, and we actually got people calling Disney World to give us their credit card, and we never had the balls to do anything with it, but we were just like, what do we do? Like, we now got this person. Like, we'd be like, oh, like, we're going to give you, like, this, This is like, a lack of imagination, you not knowing what to do with their credit card no, numbers. It, it no, it was more the how real the crime becomes. Oh, sure. Fair enough. It was not. Yeah, it was very. I mean, oh, it was not, di- oh there it is. It was not a what do we do with the credit card. We could think of great many things to do. It was just a what do we, like, we're just criminals then. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you didn't do it. That yeah. sounds like not that fun if of you, like, and, and that was often, that was one of our go-tos, was you'd make a phone call ring in Disney World. Uh, you'd convince a person that they won a prize. Uh, it always worked if they were staying on the resort. Hmm. With, are you staying on the resort? Yes. Like, which room are you in this? We're going to get this delivered to your room. We just need the credit card for the resort for the verification. And hmm. there'd be a very high percentage of people that'd be like, sure. Like, and as long as you could, like, sell it, it was very silly. Wow. <laughs> was wow. We and then uh, so full disclosure, we never did anything with that information. It was really just more an exercise of can you? So that was what I used to do to cheer myself up in 1998. Uh, wow. Was be a, har- a hard time for everyone. Yeah. Well, All right. I, I so just realized I'm glad I used to have people 
have pizza places call people asking them what their <laughs> order was, but I'm glad I never had the idea of hooking up the suicide hotline with various friends just randomly. Just patching it in. Oh, uh, I'm sorry, funny. were you about to kill yourself? Was that? No, okay. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's pe- are you talking pepperoni about? or yeah. suicide? Yeah. Uh, I said a side of fries. Yeah. Side of fries. <laughs> Yeah. Should I? Shall I? Shall yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, number three. <laughs> number three. <laughs> Tell us about the first time you lied to your parents to get away with something. Uh, you don't know who the last question is from. I don't know about the first time, but... <laughs> the time that springs to mind, obviously. Something I, I still occasionally think about is... In, uh, is What is it? Maybe 1981? I, I'm from that generation. I was like 10, 11 years old, the early 80s. And... We used to steal hockey cards. Uh, oh. Actually, we used to steal all kinds of stuff uh, in the late 70s, early 80s as kids. It was called walking into a, into a store with big fat mittens on and stuffing stuff into the mittens. Oh, yeah. Chocolate that makes sense. Uh, bars, uh, gum. Hockey cards? like So, you know, a pack of hockey cards. It'd be like, I don't know, whatever it was. It would be like with a stick of gum. On it, and then Those, you like, you know, and you like, the old days, you it would like be wrapped in, fl- it wrapped in wax paper with a stick of gum that was like so hard you could use it to open a door with or something but anyway so i had accumulated quite a few hockey cards but i never quite told my parents that i was collecting hockey cards or anything <laughs> and so they found them all one day and they're like what the hell are you doing a How stack did you get this all these ho- hockey and i was cards. just like i borrowed them from so-and-so and so-and-so's parents had uh, unknown to me been caught stealing at the depener or something oh no called my parents and this was partly why they were suddenly poking around my room and asking where this or that came from and it's like oh fuck so that didn't work. So there you go. I lied, and uh, the first time I remember what was lying the? Did you remember what the the, oh the, lie, the lie? That lie cost them tens of thousands of fucking dollars, man. I had all of Wayne Gretzky's rookie cards, including the WHA cards. Oh His no! His first ever card. There was there, nobody wanted these. They they let us steal them. WHA cards. Yeah, in the late yeah. 70s. Who it wasn't even the Please. real hockey league. You can if take two. Take I two of them. I never yeah. thought of buying them. This is a if pretend it league. This was like okay, uh, I gotta steal stuff now, and and this is what the hell am I doing with these? Yeah. And there they were, and he threw them out, and some like some of those individual cards or ten, fifteen thousand dollars now. Because I had to otherwise would have had the great luck of being a kid collecting hockey cards exactly when these monstrously expensive Valuable. That's ones, always my like. Uh, I feel that we're coming out moms after that. Now it's over. Fuck, hockey cards are worth nothing. That's right. I think I honestly think that like m- well-meaning moms <laughs> or not even well-meaning moms, moms who didn't like clutter created the collectors industry. Like my my dad has my dad was my dad's a um, anal is maybe not the right word, but like he likes to preserve things in very like good condition, like like just in general, like his tools are immaculately kept and so on and so forth. And he had that same mentality when he was a little kid. And so he would like buy a comic book as a child, read it the one time and then put it in a briefcase. Like so which is he wasn't like boarding and bagging it like we know is the like correct way. But was still, still like, good but like, time, still yeah. way more than a like a twelve-year-old in the '60s is normally like gonna yeah, do. Yeah, yeah. He would so you had these little stacks, and then one day he was like, "Mom, what did you do with my credit? Like all my comic books? There was like briefcases." She's like, "Threw them out," <gasps> and he was like, "There's just briefcases full of comic books, and all from like golden age, like yeah, '50s and '60s, maybe not mint because they were not boarded and bagged, but I'm like in better condition than every kid was ever keeping them." And I was like, moms. And then your mom was like, these are ill-gotten hockey cards. Oh, yeah. They, I, I still remember. I think they actually made a show of dropping them into the garbage. No. Uh, and I was just like, fuck. You got these through you lying. You know what? A few, a few years later. You know what, though? I, they, 
to be perfectly honest, maybe three years later, I would have, or two, not even a year or two later, I would have sold them as yeah. soon as they were worth five bucks, not fifteen thousand bucks. Yeah, you would have. So I could buy. Comics. But that was still better than like. And then going in the garbage. You know? I also I had these <laughs> it was expensive still theft. <laughs> you know, I had these fucking comics from the early nineties too, like the, the the original Dark Knight, Frank Miller, Batman. Yeah, yeah, worth yeah Hundreds yeah. of dollars today. And as soon as they were worth ten bucks, I traded them for records. Yeah. You know, so it's just one of those things, and and, and in the end, I'm, at least the records I mostly hung on to. Some of those '80s punk records go. I have are worth a lot of money. But still, no regrets. Uh, that's kind of the uh, and there you go. That's uh, yeah, obviously. Uh, line your I am the, the type of person. Here I am now. I run fairs and encourage people to buy shit and stuff. Yeah. But, but hey. Question yeah, four. So I think you've been character like steady for the yeah. for your <laughs> lifetime. All right, so question number four. It comes from Ram Krishan, the base basis for unsettlers, Grumpy's bartender. Unsettlers. Yeah. They had they had a, a little mini reunion show last week. Yeah, that's like ten years parts. ago was yeah, yeah, yeah. Old right. crowd. Old crowd yeah, at the yeah. show. How do you explain your hair? To who? What's the Jesus. what's like it's who who am I? <laughs> People Apparently, gray, uh, premature gray is genetic on the mother's side. I suppose that would be the... I think the idea... You know what? I love a gray head. I just recently got my first white hair, and I'm very excited oh. because I'm not genetically predisposed to it. Both my mother and grandfather have had pitch black hair well into their like 60s and 80s, respectively. Hmm. So I found one on my head, and I was like, oh, my God, am I breaking the rule? Yeah. I hope I hope I fall in your footsteps. So premature gray, anything else? Oh, man, yeah, I had it. I mean, it was useful. I had it as a teen. It helped me get into bars underage. It would be oh, like wow. 16 or 17. There'd be like a handful of yeah, visible look at ones. You think, you think I need to show you an ID card? Look at this. Look at these I'm locks. I'm going gray from my time at the factory. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that, like... I think the question the question was asked in that like it's one of those things that regardless of how into your looks that you are, mm. you still s- usually spend at least like a moment on your hair. I think that was the the crux of the question. Well, in that case, I gotta I say like na- na- to now that it. it's pretty much it's almost all white. Like there's yeah. a little bit in certain parts that. Yeah. But I mean, white hair is useless. There's nothing you can fucking do with it. No more but mohawks you're also for me. No, yeah. I'm not doing the hippie ponytail thing. Uh, it's there's no so little you can do. But I mean, a lot of guys in their by their by their 40s they just go for the buzz cut or something. Yeah. Like you, you are no longer able to do your hair like you used to do in your. But 20s. you're doing a mostly. You still have a mostly head of hair. Yeah, you're, I mean, you're in your 40s, not to be too presumptuous. You know, uh, all all the other friends of mine who've, who've made it this far into life with. Uh, have almost no hair left. That's my consolation. It's just like, well, I got some hair. Yeah. It's not quite the color that. Uh, <laughs> and you I know, if ever I suddenly decided like, to dye it blue or purple, uh, you have hair to you've dye. You've got the perfect canvas. Yeah, and yeah. you have and yeah. you have the Completely. hair to dye it, right? Like I'll take. Honestly, if Exposine is not the time to rock out a new weird hair color, I don't know what it is. So I hope we will see you at Exposine. I'm calling lavender. I will see you there with lavender, lavender right? hair. All right. Uh, and question Heard number first, five kids. is Louis Rustelli, lavender hair. At what Exposing. question would you like to ask the next guest? We don't know who it is. I won't even be here. But what? You what might be. Who knows? Well, I done. Done. The suspense. <laughs> Tune in next time. Well, when I, my very beginnings as a 16-year-old Loyola High School student at Are back when Loyola High School was nestled into the, the question. Concordia campus. I started volunteering for the Concordia radio station, which put out a magazine called Rear Guard back in the day. And that was Kay. before the mirror. And I got to interview some of my favorite bands 
for that magazine, and they had one rule. There was one question that everybody had to ask at the end of their interview oh, for stat. all their okay. bands. Okay. And, and that's the question I'd like to bring back because I haven't asked it in many years, and here's okay. a chance. Throwback. Throwback to old If Concordia. ever you could be reincarnated as a vegetable, which vegetable would it be? Oh, oh my God. You know, okay. It sounds cheesy because Barbara Walters famously used to ask the same question about a tree in the 70s. But no one's going to remember that, so you sound very original. That's fine. If you were going to be reincarnated as a vegetable. Now, are we saying like... You could also say NY, you know. Like yeah, no, NY. I think, I think the NY is implied. I mean, if someone said, I'm going to be a huge cucumber, well, then maybe there's a reason. I would it. love... I don't mean to be unorthodox here because I've kind of taken helm of this question section. No, but usually answer but I the would, question. Yeah, so I would love so. to know your answer for it. Do you have an answer? Oh, boy. Well, yeah, I was like, usually we answer, the hosts answer. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We can, uh, we can also. We can yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I, mean, I guess I'd probably be a potato because I spend most of my time underground. Hey. I, I feel like answer, you could say that answer, about many. Most, you know, a lot of, whatever, a carrot, a turnip. Underground <laughs> art and zines. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, you, you did the cucumber thing, which was partially where my brain went. But I was like, which vegetable is most likely to get some action? You know, like... Wow, that is a weird angle to take. It's on gross, TV, but if I'm, I go am say. I sentient as the vegetable? Because listen, if my options are being used to bring someone pleasure or just getting straight up beaten, I would rather that. Do you know what I mean? Am I conscious as a vegetable? That's true. You could pick one that almost nobody ever eats, or you could pick one that everyone loves to eat all the time. Yeah, because I was uh, like, my uh, my brain also went to like tomato. Because tomato has a lot of versatility and a lot of people like it and whatever. But then I was like, but that's, that's anti-me because that's immediately getting eaten. Like a tomato doesn't stick around. Tomatoes get eaten. Yeah, you're likely to get boiled or blended or something. Yeah, exactly. They get yeah, turned. But as a, but in like all forms, tomatoes are used. Like paste for ketchup, sauce, like sliced up in a, all forms, tomato, you're getting dead. Yeah, but that's good. I mean, it I guess it depends on how you – how – you interpret this being a vegetable and whether you want to be desirable or not, you know? Does that yeah. desirability somehow then map back onto how you view your desirability as a person? Because I was going to say potentially radish, a little spicy, kind of divisive, you know? Some oh, people so you're, like, you're, you're some people don't yeah, like. Some you're going and for then the vegetable what, as an I'm allegory a, for you. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I, is that not what it's true. If there's radishes <laughs> in the salad, I'm not touching that salad. Whoa. It's one of those things. It's like all Yeah, and this is how we know he's wrong. Radishes, radishes oh. are controversial. I'm into radishes. But then radishes. I also was thinking maybe like fennel root, you know? Mm. Like a little, a, a little less thought of, but... Kind of always, uh, I think, uh, kind of a crowd pleaser. Do people like fennel but root? I love fennel root. Yeah, but I was going to say, but if there's too much of it, you're like, no. Nah. Well, fennel goes it's with true, exactly. <laughs> I am a small doses kind of person, you know? So the, wow. I guess this is the thing. I'm like, do am I trying to think of the vegetable that would somehow capture my spirit? Or am I just like, what would make me the happiest existing as? Like, I also think Because of then it's like, I think all the vegetables would be equal. I think I would be just as happy herb? being... What? Did you say fennel? Fennel. Fennel root. The herb. It's like, yeah, is that really a vegetable though? Or? Well, the root. That's what I mean. The fennel root. Oh, fennel okay, okay, okay. And okay. then, I mean. Is ginger a Are we vegetable? talking like botanically? Is it a vegetable? Tomatoes are not either. But are we talking that's true, culinarily? Are they a vegetable? They're definitely a vegetable. I can put them in a salad. I can roast them. Fennel roots are vegetables. What is ginger? Because uh, ginger is, I think, if. It, Ginger no, ginger is a straight. I okay. I mean, it's, it's a root, root, and then it's also I would say like a spice. That's okay. where I would like culinarily. I, I would like, call it a spice. I like. I think of myself as dependable, 
And I like the idea of the ginger root because you can have it in your fridge and it's useful for a lot of things. You can season if you're a little sick. Good. You, you can, can make, a make a little tea, little tea with it. Oh my yeah. god. You can put Ginger it into your and cloves savory and, and your sweet yeah. cooking, right? What would pumpkin spice be without ginger? What would gingerbread yeah. cookies be without ginger? Exactly. Well, but also what would all cookies. of Asian cuisine be without ginger? You know? Exactly. That's yeah. it. Great. All so right. we all well, agree we all want to be ginger root. No. And in the end, it's so much a better question than Barbara Walters' original, if you could be a tree, which could it be? Because when she would ask that one, it would be like, expecting, you know, this really ponderous, important answer about soaring and uh, roots. Christmas and tree. And, 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 you know, uh, whatever. Uh, Straight up. Um, when is Exposine, Louis? Yes, please, when please is formally plug Exposine now. This We're going to have links all over Saturday the Saturday and Sunday. This uh, coming it's Saturday. It's free, and it's nuts. Like, if you've never been, it's just too much. It's, it's There's almost it's 300 great. different tables. It's amazing. That's why we have to find a much, much bigger church basement. It's <laughs> like, yeah. if, if you don't go early when there's a lineup or something, you just walk in, you get in the basement, or, like, you turn a corner, you come in. I will like, say Holy that, moly, like, this place is huge I've and full. Some, as someone who has been to Exposine a couple times, like, I cannot recommend going early enough. Like, j just because, a, yeah. a, the best stuff is there, step one. Step one, all of the vendors have their whole thing. And, B, it gets to be so crowded and you end up with kind of like a sensory overload. But if you get there at opening, you can take, like, a few moments at each table, really, yeah, like, yeah. soak oh, we're in lucky. what's the, there. The, the new location, luckily, has a lot of... Uh, Room so that people can actually stand in the middle of the the, the rows of people buying zines and wonder, you know, like, yeah. where do I go now? Some of the previous locations were way too small. The location is very near Jean Talon Metro, which turns out is the hip part of town where all the artists live now, apparently. Mm -hmm. Hot, hot, it's hot. 1025 Belanger. Actually, I've been calling it, well, it's a very phallic church, let's just say. Oh, yeah. It's a very, very smooth and round and tall tower in the corner, Christophe Colomb and Belanger. What time does it open? It's from 11 to 6, free. Yep. And, uh, yeah, it's free partly because if you bring money, we want you to buy it. Yeah, spend, spend it on, it on zines. zines. And there's going to be so many and zines. zines like are and like that's and wow, when we say bucks, this weekend, bucks. we mean the weekend of November, the... 16th and 17th. That's right. Cool. Coming right up. And, like, for the price point, I guess, like, I don't think I've... Like, a lot of the zines... Like, the very, very good stuff usually is, like, maybe, like, like good, but I say good. High quality prints and stuff like that end up being like maybe like twenty ish yeah, yeah, plus. Yeah. But like, there's a lot of stuff you can buy there for two, three dollars. Yeah, like yeah, it's free yeah. to get in. But there's like, you could go with twenty dollars in your pocket and pull out. Yeah, like five more things. and more. There's there's a lot of vendors like showing up with their square books. thing, and yeah. I mean, you still get drawn in quarterly and people like that. If you want to spend a couple hundred bucks and get all the latest yeah. graphic novels, That's there it. you go. But there's uh, also yeah, a twenty dollar budget will really get you. Uh, yeah, so like many you, other you could go with twenty bucks in your pocket and come you're buying like it from the artist. You know? And it's an experience. Go with zero dollars in your pocket just for the ex browse around. I don't. No, but I'm no, you want money to it. buy the zines. If you have no money, go and check it out. Don't want you to not go, but we do want you to come with money. Even <laughs> if you go and you don't buy anything, I always have a chuckle when these people are haven't sold a zine all day. Somebody finally stops and flips through their zines and looks at all of it and asks them four or five questions and yeah. doesn't buy it. Yeah. So you can always do that, and, and then and that's free actually. Yeah, so and people love that, you know? When you're well, out there trying to sell your art, you just love the false hope. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm just saying, um, I'm sure it's a wonderful place to go check out some great art, you know? And it's the like only you time, too. You're get screwed. To you literally can't find almost anywhere else. You know, go oh, obviously not just local. buy the stuff you want to buy, but get to know the medium. 
Yeah. Right? Gorgeous. Gorgeous. And, and, and There's some stuff from France. These, these the two stuff people that from I'm France are crazy. crazy. The skull thing was from France. Oh There's about God. 60 books that came in boxes ahead of Exosine of this kind of stuff. They're all different. They're yeah, insane. I'm I, I don't even know. I think this I'm might be. I'm going to put a pill for that at the end of this podcast right now. Meh. Uh, so you have Exposing coming up, but you mentioned also you have other various endeavors, art fairs, so on and so forth. Do you just want to throw those out? Well, actually, air? I guess the big thing is that not long after Exposing, we're having a big 20th anniversary party for our nonprofit organization that oh we set up to do all these projects, like Exposing, Distrobodo, the archives. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, December 5th at Salarosa, Arc okay. Montreal, ARCMTL was the name of our organization, or yep. ARCMTL.org is the website for all of it, Exposing, Distrobodo, yep. and everything else. And uh, yeah, so not long after Exposine, we're going to have a big 20th anniversary blast at Salarosa. And it's also sure. going to be a benefit fundraiser because actually I have so much credit card debt related to all this stuff. And the actual organization is uh, uh, growing, but uh, the funding not so much. So it'll be oh, a We very didn't even talk benefit. about that. That was also one of the things I wanted to talk about was your... The woes with the government and whatever. But we won't oh, get into well, that. let's just say they, they, they take it pretty nonchalant. Like, oh, the grants are going to be late this year, but don't worry, they'll be retroactive. But it's just like, uh, where's the liquidity in the meantime? Anybody, did you mention, uh, but in terms of your, your spinoff fairs, are those, do you have dates on any of those? I yeah, yeah. Well, uh, since we just had our season in April, our print and poster art fair Grand Day should come back. We don't have the dates yet in the place, but it'll be so in April. And then uh, early October next year, Volume 3, an art book fair. Kind of like Exposine, but a lot more international. The people from around the world, and there's a lot more in the way of like visual and obviously arts. And arcmontreal.org is going to probably point you at all of it. Yeah, all of it is. Uh, our landing page has uh, mainly a whole bunch of different links to all these other projects. So arcmtl.org. Perfect, Louis. That was a pleasure. It was awesome. Real fun. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you so much for coming out. And thanks for the beers. There we go. Go plug yourself, Louis. Thanks a lot. You call it, right? Thanks again for listening. Go plug yourself. As always, a big thank you to Leland Beckman and Oral Turpitude for providing all of the original music for the show. We mentioned at the beginning of the show that we'd love for you to tell your friends about the show, and honestly, that's all you really need to do. But if you're feeling particularly generous, you can support the show financially and 9to5.cc in general by going to patreon.com slash 9to5cc. You can get early access to every episode of Go Plug Yourself and other perks too. Finally, if you or someone you know has a project they'd like to plug on the show, reach out to us and let us know. You can find us on Facebook by searching 9to5cc, and we're 9to5cc on Twitter also. If everything works out, you could be the next person to sit down with Walter and I and talk about horror movies or wrestling. And I mean, also the thing that you're trying to plug. 9to5.cc. Podcasts, blogs, and comics. Made in Montreal since 2011.